This past Sunday, God really moved in a powerful way. And uh, in our celebration service, I wasn't able to get to all of the verses that I had originally uh, planned on teaching about. And uh, I didn't necessarily feel to deal with those verses this evening either. So tonight, we're going we're gonna to skip a few verses. Is that okay? And, um, but Lord willing, we're going to come back to those on Sunday so we're not just going to skip them and not deal with them, but we're, Lord willing, we'll skip, skip them for tonight, come back on Sunday and deal with them. This past Sunday, <clears throat> this past Sunday we got to verse 9, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. The word of the Lord says, receiving the end of your faith, faith even the salvation of your souls. And so we understand and see once again the most important thing Knowledge, understanding that we could ever have is that our souls are right with God. It's the most important thing. Nothing else in this world even comes close to comparing to that understanding and that pursuit and that knowledge that we have that our souls are right with the Lord. For again, what does it matter if we live in the biggest homes and have all kinds of money and friends and fame and fortune worldly stuff, whatever. What, what, what does it matter if we gain the whole world and we lose our own souls? And so we have an understanding tonight that we have got to be serious. If we have not up until this point been serious about the salvation of our soul, it's time for us to get serious about the salvation of our soul. And so that was verse 9. I'd like to skip verses 10, 11, and 12. I think we'll come back to those, Lord willing, on Sunday, and then we'd like to skip to verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Everybody ready? 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the, revel the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I've got a few things I need to say tonight. Uh, I want to try to do so in a timely manner. God's going to help us. But when this verse speaks to us about uh, girding up the loins of our minds, it is, it is speaking of something, uh, a very common practice in that day that uh, the, the men, it would, it, would, it would only be the men that would do it, but they had these long robes and, and the, the robes would, would flow. The, the, the men and women had the, the robes, but... Uh, they, they would flow, but when when they would begin to work, when, when they would go about uh, working or running a race or uh, fighting in a battle, something like that, they would uh, they would make they would take the the bottom of the robe and they would kind of pull it up and then they would tuck it in. They would tie it in to to their waist uh, to to the part of the robe that was around their waist. And the reason is is because. When they were running, when they were working, when they were in battle, they didn't want that those free-flowing robes to, to get in their way and to hinder them and trip them up and make them fall. And so they would tie those robes up to their waist so everything was secure and so it would keep them from tripping in battle or tripping in as they ran the race. And the Bible is telling us that this is what we are supposed to do with the thoughts of our minds. It's giving us an illustration here of what we are to do with the thoughts of our minds. For we should not allow, hear me now, we should not allow our minds to flow freely into whatever avenue of thought might be present at that particular moment. 
You know, you ever talk to somebody and it's, you know, they're talking here and then they're talking here and then, you know, squirrel. And, you know, they're just all, their, their thoughts are just all over the place. And we shouldn't allow our thoughts to, 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 be, to be set one way uh, because we talk to one individual and then we turn right around and talk to another individual. Now all of a sudden our thoughts are totally different. And our thoughts are different based upon who we're talking to. And if we talk to 10 different people in a day, we have 10 different thoughts about the very same subject. And the Bible says that that's, that's not what we're supposed to do. The book would say it another place like this in James chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So when our thoughts are double-minded, when our thoughts are all over the place, once they're this way, once they're this way, once they're another way, when our thoughts are all over the map like that, we are going to be unstable in every single area of our lives. As our thoughts go, as a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh, so is he. And so if we're unstable in all of our thoughts, we're going to be unstable in our living. Am I right about it? And so it's, it's, and how many know it's when we allow our thoughts to be engaged with, with these wayward thinking. That just anything that comes along and our, our mind goes this way and our mind is, is, goes this way. Just any kind of wind that blows or person that speaks, we just get our mind off of all this kind of stuff. And how many know that when we don't align our thoughts with the word of the Lord... That's when we begin to trip and fall and fail. So this is what he's talking about. He said you need to gird up the loins of your mind like they would gird up the free-flowing robes and tie them and secure them. He says we need to do the same thing with our thoughts. We need to tie them and secure them to the word of the Lord. Every thought secured to the word of the Lord. 1 Peter 1.13, uh, that what we just read, he goes on to speak of our hope. Somebody say hope. Concerning the things that God's grace has afforded us. He, he speaks of our hope in the, in the grace of God and the things that God's grace would afford to us and what God's grace has promised to us. So what that's telling us is that any thought that is not lining itself up with what God's word says that his grace can give us, that makes sense, should be tied back to the word of the Lord where the promise was first given to us. So God's grace, every promise in this book is the grace of God that allows us to partake of those things. And every thought that would say that we cannot possess, walk in, operate in those things in God's word that are made available to us by his grace, that thought should then be taken and said, no, 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 no. Let me take you back to the word of the Lord. Let me take that thought back to the word of the Lord. Now watch, for instance, you see, how many know teaching is powerful only if it's applied? How many know we can amen all day long and still walk in darkness and all this kind of stuff if we don't apply the word of the Lord? So, 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 so this is what... It could look a hundred different ways for you depending on what you're going through, depending on what you're thinking and what thoughts are in your mind. But for instance, the word of the Lord says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is that what the word of the Lord says? 
when we are labor, when we're laboring, when we're in heavy laden, when we're downtrodden, when we're burdened by the things of life, he said, if you'll come to me, I will give you rest. All you got to do is come to me. That's the word of the Lord. Come to me and I will give you rest. And so if you have any thought that's telling you that God can't help you, that God cannot give you rest in the middle of your labor, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your weakness, if you're having any thought that is telling you that, then you need to tie that thought back to this verse. Does that make sense? The enemy's lying and saying, no, God can't help you. God can't give you rest. You're laboring. You're, you're heavy laden. You're bombarded by all this stuff, and God's not going to help you. And you have all these thoughts. But what you need to do is you need to gird up the loins of your mind, and you need to tie it back and say, no, no, no. The word of the Lord says, if I'll come to him, th- those that labor are heavy laden, he will give rest to that individual. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And if, you, if there's a thought in your mind that is convincing you of that which is contrary to what the word of the Lord is telling you there, then you bring that thought back and tie it to that verse. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 18 and verse 27. And he said the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And so when the enemy starts telling you that you're going through an impossible situation and that there's nothing that can be fixed, no, no, no. You say, I'm going to take that thought. I'm going to take that thought. I'm just going to bring it on down, and I'm going to tie it to the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord says that it is impossible with men, but it is not impossible with God. For, God, for with God, all things are possible. And so this is how we live our lives. We are to tie every thought that is out of alignment We are to tie it back, gird up the loins of your mind, tie it back to the word of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. You know what? This would revolutionize people's lives, even in this room right now, if we would just do it. Oh, hallelujah. This would absolutely revolutionize people's lives in this room right now. (laughs) People that are only half listening If you would just listen, and if you would do it, it would absolutely revolutionize your walk with God. Oh, hallelujah. And the reason is because the only weapon the enemy has is what? Lies. Lies. And so what does he do? Where does the lies come? Right here. And into our thoughts. And we start believing lies, believing lies, and it gets us into all kinds of junk. But if we could ever absolutely... Do what the word of the Lord is telling us here to do, to gird up the loins of our mind. It would change our life forever. Hallelujah. The book says another place like this in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. And I got to (laughs) hurry. Isaiah 26 and 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Somebody say perfect peace. Not a little peace. Not a percentage of peace. Not a little bit. He said he will keep you in perfect peace. Who? Whose mind is stayed on thee. That word stayed is a word that means to lay on. It means to rest on. It means to stand on. It means to be supported by. So that's telling us that the Lord will, listen, the Lord will keep in perfect peace every single individual whose mind is totally and completely standing on being supported by the word of the Lord. 
Oh, hallelujah. Now, this is why this is important. Because if you or I do not have peace in a particular area of our life, it's probably because somewhere in that area of our life, we are not standing on the word of the Lord. And see why this is so important? That we listen and are are obedient to the word of the Lord? And not just be, you know, it's just a Bible study, we'll listen, whatever. We, we, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And the reason is because is we want all of us to operate in peace in every single area of our life. Peace in our finances, peace in our emotions, peace in our marriages, peace in with our family, peace in our jobs, peace in our ministries, peace in every, every single area of our life. But the word of the Lord tells us specifically how to, to have peace in that area of your life. He said, We'll have perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him and upon his word. So what, that's why we need desperately to gird up the loins of our mind and pull every thought that is out of alignment with God's word. That's why we get outside of peace because we're operating in something that is outside of God's word. But if we'll pull it back to the word of God and align our thoughts and our will, how many know actions follow thought? you got to think first, and then you'll act on the thought that you think. Uh, that was good. And so you have, to have, you have to have the thought first before you'll ever do the action. And so let's bring the thought back into alignment with the word of the Lord. And then when we get it back in alignment with the word of the Lord, we'll begin to act on what the word of the Lord says. And then guess what? We'll operate in perfect peace. Oh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody said amen. You say, well, Pastor, you just don't know how hard that is. And I, I, just, I just don't know if I can do that or not. You just don't know the thoughts I have and how bad the enemy's coming against my mind. And he's just bombarding my mind. I just, I just don't know that I can do this. Watch what the book says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Ready? And bringing into captivity... Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do not believe the lie from the devil. You absolutely have the power to cast down every thought that contradicts the word of the Lord. And you absolutely have the power to bring into captivity every thought until it becomes obedient to Christ. And obedient to the word of the Lord. That's what the book says. So don't allow those thoughts to get you off track. Don't allow those thoughts to get you off course. For you have the power. You have the power. To grab a hold of that thought. Make it and hold it captive. And say you will come into obedience to the word of the Lord. Now, you might have to do that every five minutes. But you have the ability to do that. Anybody ever, anybody ever just, now see, this is why we got to, let me, let me, let me say this. But here's the thing about all this. God told us to do that. He's not going to do it for us. He said, you do that. 
Cast down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You gird up the loins of your own mind. God, God, I need you to come down and take care of my thoughts. And God said, no, 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 I told you to do that. And I gave you the power to do it. It is incumbent upon us as Christians to understand the attacks of the enemy. And to know when he's messing with our minds. Oh, hallelujah. You see, because if we're not aware, if we're not aware, how many, how many has ever, how many has ever been, for me, a lot of it happens when I first wake up in the morning for whatever reason. But it could happen whenever. How many has ever been thinking about something that you knew did not align itself to the word of the Lord? It did not fall under the category of thinking upon things that are pure, holy, and of a good report. And you've been thinking about it for 15 minutes. You're just like thinking, thinking, thinking. I know this isn't right. But you, you don't really recognize it. You're just thinking about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What am I doing? You see, but what happens is, thank God that, that you came to the realization after 15 minutes. But the problem is, is the enemy can be so subtle that we can just think about that stuff for hours and not even realize that it is an attack of the enemy and that we're believing a lie from the devil. And we just think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it. And the problem is, is if we don't gather that thought back, hear me, this is important. If we don't gather that thought back, what we think about becomes reality. And it just becomes who we are. And that's just how we begin to think naturally. And so we have got to understand what does the word of the Lord say? And let me judge my thoughts. The problem is, is too many Christians aren't judging their thoughts. They're just thinking the thoughts. We can't just think thoughts. We've got to judge the thoughts that we're thinking constantly. Continually, we must judge the thoughts that we're thinking. Okay, what am I thinking about right now? Okay, does that thought line up to the word of the Lord? If it doesn't, let me get that thing right back here and let me tie it right back to the word of the Lord. If it does line up to the word of the Lord, okay, I'll keep thinking about it. But how, how often do we judge the thoughts in our minds? Or do we just keep thinking about it? And so we have, the Lord, he, he's not going to come and gird up the loins of our minds for ourselves. He said, you got to do that. You got to do that. And this is, the, this is why we get into trouble is because we don't listen to the word of the Lord and do what the word of the Lord says. And we don't gird up the loins of our mind. And so we believe this and we believe that and we believe the other and we get out of a place of peace. Oh, hallelujah. I'll help you. And I'll help me if I'll listen. Somebody said amen. So gird up the loins of our minds. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. <clears throat> As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. So Peter is talking here now that as children of God, he, 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 he references us as obedient children. He's talking about those who have been obedient to the gospel and children of the Lord. He said we should never go back to the sins that we used to partake of. Before we were saved. For he says that those were the things that we did in ignorance. 
He said, we, you did those things before you had revelation, real revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, those are the things you did before you had revelation of God's grace and God's goodness and God's love and the forgiveness, uh, the forgiving power of the Lord and, and God's mercy. And, and before you had revelation of the truth, he said, you, those are the things you did before you got revelation. You did those things in ignorance. And he said, it would be such a shame for us to go back to doing the things we did in ignorance now that we have received the truth. Peter would describe this very same thing in his next book, 2 Peter, if we ever get there. Chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, For, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He said they got revelation of who Jesus Christ was. And so it allowed them to escape the pollution and the sin and the wrong of the world. But he said, after that, if they are again entangled therein. Talking about entangled again with the world and the sin that God had brought them out of. And overcome. Watch what he says. He says, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. And then he explains, verse 21, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness at all than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. He said, it would have been better for them not to have even been saved. Now this is, this is tough right here. Because that doesn't, that, that's a pretty tough word. But here's what we have to understand. This is what he's talking about. As bad as hell is going to be, it is going to be much, much, much worse to those who at one time were saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in his name, operating in the grace and the mercy of God. As bad as hell is going to be for everybody, it's going to be a hundred thousand times worse. Can you imagine something worse than hell? But this is what he's talking about. He said it's going to be worse for some people. Because they had at one point experienced the mercy of God and experienced the grace of God, but then they allowed themselves to be entangled again with the pollutions of the world. And Peter says it would have been better for those who backslide if they would have never been saved at all. Why? Because they're the judgment that will be upon them and the penalty that's going to be upon them is going to be so much worse. And what makes it worse, it's not going to be any hotter in hell for those people. It's not going to be any darker in hell for those people. But here's what's going to make it worse. Because their memory will retain every move of God they were ever in. Their memory will retain the moment that they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They will remember it. 
They'll remember being baptized and having their sins washed away. They'll remember the grace of God. They'll remember their sins being forgiven and they'll remember operating under the power of the Holy Ghost. They'll remember every tear and, 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 and that they prayed and they cried out to God in an altar. They'll remember all of those things while in a place of eternal torment. Every second of every day for all of eternity, they'll be forced to remember that they had given, they had been given everything necessary to escape the judgment they were now enduring. That's what's going to make hell worse for those people because they're going to know every single day, every single second for eternity that they had been given the opportunity to escape the judgment they were facing. But they turned their back on it because they wanted the things of the world more than they wanted the things of God. And they're going to have to live with that and eternally die with that. And let me just say this. A backslider doesn't become a backslider when they stop coming to church. Because backsliding begins on the pew. Backsliding begins on the pew. And then Peter gets real plain concerning a backslidden heart. And these that have become entangled again and with the world. And he says in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, he says, But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire or the mud. You see, here's the deal some people think erroneously, and it's because they're believing a lie, because they're not girding up the loins of their mind. That they are getting what they want when they backslide. Or, they get, or they're getting what they deserve. I deserve to be married. I'm going to talk about this now. But so I'm going to backslide so I can get married to somebody. That's what I deserve. It's what I deserve. So they go back on the things that God had originally brought them out of because they feel like I deserve something. I should be able to get something. And so they turn their back on the things of God. But Peter is telling us what that backslidden individual is really getting. For what they're really getting is exactly what the dog gets. Not to be, you know, PG-13 or nothing. But what the dog gets when he goes back to eat his own vomit. And everybody said, gross. But he's trying to paint a picture here in our minds. That repulsion, that, that's, ugh, ugh. He said, that's, that's, what, that's what the backslider is getting. When they give up everything beautiful and wonderful and go back to the very things that God brought them out of, he said it's like a dog returning back to the vomit. And he said it's like a hog <laughs> that has been all washed and then goes right back and wallows around in the mud. He said that's what it's like. 
the world or your flesh will convince you that what you're getting is great and what you're getting is wonderful. And man, you know, I came out here in the world and, and, what, and everything I got, this, this, is, this is wonderful stuff. The enemy will convince you that what you're getting is worth the spiritual rebellion you're having to act out in order to get it. But the Word of God is showing us that what we're gaining, what we're gaining back to ourselves is nothing but vomit and mud. Oh, hallelujah. So do not believe the lies of the enemy. Do not allow the enemy to fulfill his will in your life of stealing and killing and destroying everything that is good and everything that is godly. My friend, just let's just stay in the church. Let's just stay in the truth. Let's just stay submitted to the word of the Lord. And when the enemy starts trying to tempt us with the things that are out there, come on, let's just take those thoughts and say, no, 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 I'm going to tie that thought right back to the word of the Lord. I'm not going to go back to the very things that I one time shouted over because God delivered me from them. Why do I want to go back to the very thing that I rejoiced and shouted and praised God for and testified about that he brought me out of all that junk? I don't want to entangle myself again with all of that hurt and pain and sorrow. I'm just going to stay in the church. I'm just going to stay in the truth. I'm just going to do what God has called me to do and live in righteousness and live in purity and live in holiness and live the way God wants me to live so that the blessings of God can be upon my life. Is that the way you feel tonight? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody said amen. amen. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Conversation doesn't necessarily speak of what you say. Conversation speaks of how you live. Speaking is part of it, but it's not just talking about speaking. It's talking about living. Because it is written, verse 16, be ye holy for I am holy. Leave it up. Be ye holy for I am holy. So here we see that God is calling us to live lives of holiness. Paul would speak of it like this when writing to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness. The, the, infer, the thing that he's inferring is but he has called us unto holiness. He's not called us to uncleanness, but he has called us to holiness. So here we see once again that God has called us to a place of holiness. So how are we supposed to begin the process? This process of becoming holy. How, how are we supposed to start? How are we supposed to begin? What, what does it look like to begin this journey called sanctification? To be holy. Some would say that we would need to take a very strong, introspective look into our own lives in order to see ways in our own lives in which we can become more holy and become more righteous. Some would say that we should look at the condition of, that our world is in and, and allow their sinfulness to be a guiding force for the things we should stay away from. But it's God through Peter that gives us how the process should look in this process called holiness. For again, he says, be ye holy, for I am holy. You see, here's what God wanted us to understand. Our level, and we've taught this before, we'll teach it again. Our level of holiness 
is directly tied into our understanding of God's holiness. Our level of holiness will be tied proportionately and directly into our understanding of how holy God is. Because God is holy, we are to be holy. And the more revelation we have concerning God's holiness, the more understanding and revelation we'll have about our own personal holiness. And if we miss, hear me, saints of God, if we miss that principle, we have missed everything. And we will struggle with holiness the rest of our life. And we will struggle with sanctification the rest of our life. And we will struggle with separation from the world the rest of our life. I want you to get this. We do not live holy so that we won't go to hell. We live holy because God is holy and we are striving to be like him. We do not live holy so judgment won't be poured out on our lives. If you're living holy so the judgment of God won't come upon you, you're doing it wrong. And God's trying to help you tonight by giving you some revelation. If you're saying, you know, i got to dress this way and look this way and I can't do this and I can't do that or the judgment of God is going to fall on my life, you're missing the whole point. <clears throat> you're operating in what's called legalism. That's not what we teach. We're, we're, we don't teach legalism that you got to do this or else God's going to judge you. The penalties of God's going to come upon you in, in a certain degree because we understand that we are to be holy not so that the judgment of God won't come upon us, but we are to be holy because God is holy. And I want to be like him. That's why I do it. Oh, hallelujah. We live holy because God is holy and we want to be pleasing to the holy God. Listen, listen very carefully. The thing that makes sin wrong is not the outcome of the sin. You say, well, adultery is wrong because, man, it tears up families and, and it breaks up homes. And No, 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 no. That's not why adultery is sin. Sin is not wrong because of the negative effect that it has. Now, does it have a negative effect? Absolutely. But that's not what makes sin wrong. The reason why the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is wrong is not because of what those things bring about negatively in our lives. The reason they are wrong is because God is right. Because the... The only thing that can make something wrong is the fact that there is something right. Oh, hallelujah. For without a right, there can be no wrong. And the Bible says this in Psalms chapter 19 and verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, 
enlightening the eyes, the statutes of the Lord, the things of the Lord, the word of the Lord are right. Somebody say, he's right. And that's what makes everything else that does not live up to that standard wrong. The commandments of the Lord are, what's it say? Pure. Therefore, that which does not measure up to his commandments can be considered impure. But they are only impure because you can contrast them with something that is pure. If you, am I making sense? If you didn't have anything that was pure, you would never say that anything was impure because you would never have something to compare it to. It would just be what it is. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, the Lord is described as being without sin. In 1 Peter 2.22, he's described as one who has committed no sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he's referred to as him who had no sin. 1 John 3.5 says that in him is no sin. The Old Testament describes him prophetically as the righteous servant. In Isaiah 53 and verse 11. And as the one who loved righteousness and hated wickedness in Psalms 45 and verse 7. Hear me today. We will never be able to truly follow after this call of holiness correctly until we see our sinfulness as being that which is in opposition to a holy God. That's what makes it sin. And that's what makes it wrong. Not because of the outcome. But because he's so holy. Oh, hallelujah. And see, this is, it's in my notes, but this is the reason why some people can stay in patterns of sin for so long. The reason is because they allow themselves to get used to the consequence of the sin. And the consequence of the sin no longer bothers them like it used to bother them. And so they keep living in sin. Whereas if they would have a revelation of God's holiness and realize that their sin is sin and their sin is wrong, not because of the outcome or the effect of the sin, but because of how holy God is, it would help them to stop doing what they're doing. For all sin is against God. Because why? Because when we sin, his law is broken, his authority is despised, his government is set at naught. Every single time we do that, which is contrary to the word of the Lord, every time we sin, that's what happens. For the knowledge that we have concerning the holiness of God should be the, hear me, should be the deciding factor concerning how we live, how we talk, how we look, and how we carry out our lives. The holiness of God. The holiness of God. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine the other day, and he was he was he asked me for some notes and on some holiness stuff, and I sent him some stuff. And he said, Yeah, he said, I, I was I was teaching it, and he said, you know, I took a couple minutes and talked about the holiness of God, and then I, I moved on, and I was like, no, 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 no. I said, You missed the whole point. You missed everything. You got to go back and do it all over again. Because here's why. Here's why. I can get up here and I can say God is holy. And you guys 
and all of us, not just you, but all of us intellectually, intellectually know he's holy. But we will not become holy because intellectually we know God is holy. But we will become holy when we experientially know God is holy. See, this isn't in my notes, but Isaiah had a revelation of the holiness of God. And he saw the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. And he fell on his face and he said, woe is me. I'm unclean. I'm undone. All this kind of stuff. What is that? That's not, that's not him intellectually knowing that God is holy. That is him experiencing the holiness of God. And that is what all of us in this room, it is incumbent upon every single one of us. It is a must. It is a have to. It is a must for us on a consistent basis to have an experience with the holiness of God. Oh, hallelujah. You see, because listen, the holiness of God is a characteristic of God. Just like how many know God is love. Let me ask you the question. Have you ever experienced the love of God? Okay, so people have told you God is love. You've heard it. You see it build, you know, painted on overpasses. God is love. God is love. God is love. That's not, I'm not asking if you know it intellectually. I'm asking you if you have experienced it experientially. Have you experienced for yourself in an altar, in a prayer meeting, at your, have you felt the love of God? The very same thing is what God wants to do in his characteristic of holiness. It has got to move beyond something that we just know in our minds that God is holy. We must have an experience with the holiness of God. Where we get in his presence and we feel him so holy and so righteous in our lives. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Because here's what I know as a pastor. When somebody truly has an experience with the holiness of God, and they have continual experiences with the holiness of God, they never come to me and say, well, why do we got to live this way? And why do we got to do that? And why can't I do this? And why can't I go there? And why can't I this? And why can't I that? Those kind of people, if you got an individual that has honestly and truthfully pursued after and experienced with God's holiness, and they have been in the, the presence of a holy God and have put them on their face, those individuals, they're like, I want to be so holy. I want to be so far separated from the world. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because I had an experience with a holy God, and it shook me to my core. Saints of God, we have got to have an experience with the holiness of God. Pray. If, listen, if you're struggling with some of this stuff, if you're struggling with some of the holiness teachings and separation teachings and all this kind of thing, if you're struggling with some of that, put all of that aside for a minute and just say, God, I'm just going to come into your presence and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you, reveal your holiness to me. Because here's what I know. Isaiah was probably 
one of the most spiritual men of his day. One of the most, he was a prophet, man of God. Everybody looked up to him. Everybody honored him. One of the most spiritual men in all of the land. And he comes into a place where he experiences God's holiness. And that man who was more spiritual than everybody was put flat on his face. And he realized, I've got so far to go. But, he's, but, but there's an understanding there. There's an understanding that I want to do it. I want to make the changes. I want to cut out the things in my life that aren't holy. Why? Why? Because some preacher told me to do it? No. Because, some, because there's a list and i got to obey the list? No. I want to do it because I have come into a revelation of just how holy God is. And I want to please Him. And I want to be like Him. We will never become more holy because we work harder at it. We will only become more holy when our revelation of God's holiness increases. When we struggle with, and I've said it, but when we struggle with holiness principles, it's because we are struggling with our knowledge of God's holiness. Oh, hallelujah. When people fight against the teachings concerning separation from the world as it applies to hair or dress or whatever it is, it's only because they have yet to truly appreciate and experience the holiness of God. When we are constantly living lives where we want to see how close we can get to the line and still be saved, it's a direct result of our lack of understanding of just how holy God really is. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So deeper understanding of the holiness of God first must be sought after before we can ever then turn the spotlight on ourselves. So to be, so to be holy, don't look at yourself. Don't look at yourself and say, okay, I'm going to have an introspective look and I'm going to say, okay, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And the reason is this, you're not going to see what's wrong in you. You're just not going to see it. But when you get into the holiness of God, His holiness begins to reveal things in you. And now you say, I didn't even know that was there. Why is it that I see it now? I see it now because I had an experience with a God who is the epitome of holiness. Somebody said amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just take 30 seconds. Lift our hands right now. Just receive that portion of the word. I'm going to keep teaching. But just receive that portion of the word of God into our lives and into our spirits right now. Somebody needs to go on a journey. Somebody needs to have a prayer meeting. Somebody needs to have a couple fast days. Lock yourself in a prayer closet for a couple of hours and get an experience with a holy God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. First Peter 1 17. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And there's so there's so much. There's so much. But again, he's speaking to those who have God as their father. He said, if you call on the Father. So he's speaking to the church, speaking to those who have God as their father. 
And he informs them in, in relationship to what he's just spoken to them about concerning holiness. Is everybody good tonight? Everybody good? Everybody good? He said, in relationship to that which he has just spoken to them about as it applies to holiness. He says, God will judge every one of us according to our work or according to our lifestyle. Without respect of persons, he says. What he's saying is he's not going to judge anybody differently than he judges anybody else. We will all be judged by our actions, by our obedience, lack thereof. We'll all be judged by our willingness to submit to the things of God or, or not submit to them. We're all going to be judged accordingly. He's not going to be judging different people different ways. The same standard is going to apply for all of us as it applies to how he judges us. And so the Bible says that because we understand this, it says we should make this journey. I mean, no, we are not, we are not, uh, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. I mean, no, we're just passing through here. We're just on a journey through this thing called life until we make it to our eternal reward. So this is what he saw. He said, he said, we should make this journey through life, and he tells us how. Past the time of your sojourning, your journey through life here, in fear. Everybody say fear. Now, I want you to understand, it's important that you understand, fear doesn't mean like, ah, like we're scared. That word fear is simply referring to having a tremendous reverence and a tremendous respect towards God, who is the judge of all things. In fact, the book, the book says it like this in Psalms 111 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So now watch. The beginning or the foundation of all true wisdom as it applies to our home, as it applies to our marriage, as it applies to our finances, our futures, our decisions, and everything else that would encapsulate our life. The foundation for having the wisdom necessary to do what we're supposed to do in every single one of those situations is that we must first and foremost have a holy reverence or fear of God. If we don't have a fear of God, we will never be able to have wisdom in any area of our life. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation of wisdom. Everything, all other wisdom flows from that wisdom. From that foundational understanding that we have a fear of God. You see, because if you have a fear of God, you're probably going to get in his word. And you're probably going to listen to what he says. And you're going to allow him to speak to you and you're going to listen and you're going to be submitted and you're going to be obedient to it. Am I right? Oh, hallelujah. So it doesn't matter how smart we think we are. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how smart we think the person is that we just asked the advice from. If we think, decide, or hear if what we think, decide, or hear does not have its foundation rooted in the heart of an individual that has a fear of God upon them, then it is not wisdom at all. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let's put our hand. Let's clap unto the Lord. Can we do that? Everybody in the house, let's clap unto the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
And so here's what happens. Here's what happens. Just stay with me another few minutes or several minutes, whatever. Is this all right tonight? Everybody good? Hey, man, I, you appreciate getting digging into the word of the Lord like this? So here's what happens when we don't have that fear, that reverence, that respect for the things of God. Here's what happens. Psalm chapter 36 and verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. Here's what he says. The transgression of the wicked saith within mine heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. There is no fear of God before that individual. So what do they do? Verse 2. So he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He doesn't do the, what is wise anymore. He doesn't do what is good is anymore. He left that off the moment that he stopped having the fear of God in his life because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Verse 4, so he just deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good, and he abhorreth not evil. When the fear of God is not in our lives, that's when we go about doing what is right in our own eyes. Which leads us down a path of sin and wrong and wickedness and hurt and pain and destruction. Can I get a witness in the house? And we allow ourselves to get to that place of destruction and pain and suffering because there is no fear of God in our eyes. Backsliders stay backslidden because there is no fear of God in their lives. I mean, I've talked with backsliders that have been backslidden for 20 years. I had a, a, a family member. I mean, he's back now, thank God. I've been back for several years. But he pastored an apostolic church, preached hundreds and thousands of messages, truth, and he backslid. Back in the bars, all this kind of stuff for years and years and years. And if you would ask him, he would have to tell you he stayed out because he did not have a fear of God. Because a true fear of God would have said, I got to run back to that church. Because I understand who God is and I reverence him too high. And I know he's a big God and he's the judge of all things. So I got to run back to that church. The backsliders stay backslidden because there's no fear of God in their lives. The cold in spirit stay cold in spirit because there is no fear of God in their lives. The unsubmitted stay unsubmitted because there is no fear of God in their lives. But on the flip side, on the flip side, the fear of the Lord and to have a tremendous reverence for the things of God is to not be willing to live in a way that does not measure up to what the judge has declared in his word. We're going to say, listen, I, I refuse to live a life. I refuse to do anything that the judge, the great judge, the holy judge said is wrong. If he said it's wrong, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to live that way. I'm not, I don't care who's doing it. I don't care who says it's okay. I've got a reverence for the things of God, that holy God. I fear him. I respect him. I reverence him, I submit myself to his greatness and of his power. So I'm going to listen to what he says. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. The psalmist would speak of it like this in Psalms 33 and verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded it and it stood fast. 
Because we know, because we know that whatever God has spoken, that is what is absolutely going to come to pass. We then should live our lives with a godly fear and stand in awe of him. If we truly believe that this book is true, if we truly believe every promise in this book, every command in this book, every principle in this book, if we truly believe what God says is going to happen in the end times, and eternity, and judgment, and heaven, and hell. If we truly believed all of that, we would have a holy reverence for the things of God. We would stand in awe of the things of God, and we would be obedient to the word of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. The book continues talking about the rewards of reverencing God. There's rewards for reverencing God, standing in awe of God, humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God. The rewards are this, Psalms 103, 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children. Get this now. To those who fear God, and I'm hurrying. To those who fear God. To those who walk humbly before the Lord. To those who walk reverently before the Lord. The mercy, the Bible says, the mercy of God is going to be unleashed upon their life. But it's not just going to be unleashed upon their life. It says it'll be unleashed upon your children's children. Now, I don't know how this all works, but this is what the word of the Lord says. So we see there is a multi-generational blessing. You hear me? There is a multi-generational blessing that flows in a family where those in that family reverence, honor, stand in awe continually of God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let me say it like this. I've had some people say, in, in roundabout ways, you know, some things about how I was raised. And you, well, you just, you just don't know how the rest of us were raised. And you were raised in a pastor's home. And you were raised in church. And you were raised in this, that, and the other. And you know what? I thank God. I, listen, I'm, I'm a blessed man. I got a beautiful, wonderful, godly wife. I got beautiful kids that love the Lord. I got a great church. I got a great job. <laughs> it's not a job, it's a calling, but there's just a little point there. I, 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 I'm a blessed man. Got a nice home, got some cars to drive. I got, I'm, a blessed, I'm a blessed man. But you want to you know why I'm blessed? It's not, it's not even necessarily, Brother Ron, to a certain degree, it's because of maybe some consecration that I made. But I'm blessed because of my parents. I'm blessed because my mom and dad, for years, honored, reverence, stood in awe of the word of the Lord and of the things of God. And because they did that, I have been able to receive some blessings that I didn't deserve. It's the truth. 
Now listen, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad if you don't have parents like that. I promise. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. What I'm saying is we can all start the blessings somewhere. So maybe you didn't have parents that were in church. Maybe your parents were alcoholics and drug addicts or not in your life at all. Okay, you know what you do? You start it now. You start the blessing now. Oh, hallelujah, I feel the Holy Ghost. You start the blessing right now so that your kids, so that your kids can have blessings that you didn't have. And so that your grandkids can have blessings that you didn't have. And so that your great-great-grandkids can have blessings that you didn't have. My friend, you can start a blessing that's going to be released upon your family, that's going to have an effect for generations and generations and generations to come. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, this isn't in my notes, but, you know, it was Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. We, we went to all my mom's side of the family. My mom's side of the family. And we walked into that, that gymnasium. And man, there's my mom, there's, there's five sisters, there's a brother. The five sisters all were married, had all kinds of kids. Those kids are now having kids. So there's grandkids and great-grandkids. So I don't know. Babe, how many was, how many was in, the, in the gym probably, roughly? Probably 50 to 60. Maybe even more than that. I think there might have been a little more, some, somewhere in that area. And you know what? Probably conservative figure, probably 75 to 85% of the people in the room were all saved, apostolic. But there was multiple pastors in the room multiple pastors' wives in the room, multiple music ministers in the room, multiple Sunday school teachers and youth workers, and on and on and on and on the list goes. So in that family, I'm way off my notes. I don't even know what time it is. We'll end at some point. But our tradition there is when we get to Thanksgiving, when we go down to Salem to do this, our tradition is we eat turkey like everybody, but we have it at the church because most all the family is goes to the church anyway, so they have the keys and we can do those things. And so we go into the gym and we have the big dinner and all that. But then at some point after, after all the turkey's been, been eaten, we all meander over to the auditorium. And our families fill with praise singers. Our families fill with piano players. Our families fill with guitar players and drummers and all this stuff. And we just go in there. It's not planned. It's not rehearsed. And we just all go in there and we just, they just begin to sing the songs of Zion. And they sing some fast ones and they sing some slow ones. And it took about 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, <laughs> presence of God fell in that room. Man, I'm just weeping. People are crying. You feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You feel the power of the Spirit of God. You want to know why that is? Now listen, maybe your Thanksgiving didn't quite look like that. But it can <laughs> but it, it, it looked like that for me, not because of anything I did, but because I had a grandma and a grandpa <laughs> that got saved 
and made a declaration, we're going to raise our girls and our son in the church and in the truth. And they dragged him to church every single service. Come on. Why? Because they had a fear of God in their life. And they had a reverence for God. And they said, hey, the church doors are open. We're going to be there. Hey, it's prayer meeting. We're going to be there. Hey, it's fast days. We're going to be there. Hey, it's church work days. We're going to be there. Hey, it's the word of God. We're going to amen it. We're going to live up to it. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. And guess what? That caused for there to be a blessing released upon them that was then passed down to my mom. And then my mom hooked up and got married to my dad who also had the blessings of the Lord upon his life. And they made a declaration, we're going to serve God, and we're going to live for God, and we're going to have a reverence and a fear and an awe of God. And that same blessing then went from them on down to me. And I have what I have, not necessarily because of what I've done, but because of parents and grandparents that had a reverence for the things of God. Hallelujah. The best thing you can do for your kids is reverence and having awe of the things of God. Don't come into this house twiddling your thumbs and clipping your fingernails and getting online and watching YouTube while the preacher's preaching. Having awe of the things of God. Have a reverence for the things of God. Come on, don't live your life and say, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do, but if when it comes Sunday, I'll go and sit on a chair and sit there for an hour and a half and then get up and leave and go do what I really want. No, if you want there to be a blessing upon your home, if you want there to be a blessing on your marriage, if you want there to be a blessing on your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, why don't you even right now say, I'm going to fall in love with Jesus like I've never fallen, fell in love with him before. I'm going to have an awe and a respect and a reverence for the things I'm going to walk humbly before the Lord. I'm going to walk humbly before the righteousness and holiness of God. Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Oh, come on, somebody lift your hands right now. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody get a reverence for the things of God. Get a reverence for the house of God. Get a reverence for the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, I'm talking about praying during altar service. I'm talking about going after the things of God during worship service. I'm talking about lifting my hands and humbling myself and worshiping and praising and lifting up the King of Kings because he's worthy. I'm talking about not just sitting there like a statue and a bump on a law, but I'm talking about getting into the things of God, pursuing after the things of God. Why? Because I have a reverence for him, and my reverence for him is causing me to want to worship him and praise him and magnify him and sacrifice for him and live holy for him and live separate for him. Why? Because I have an awe of who he is. Oh, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah.
Let me just say this. Let me say this. When you are truly in awe of something, it is going to spark an emotional response. Am I right? So to those people that say, well, you know, I'm just not emotional. I'm just not emotional. So some people can jump up and down in the middle aisle, but I just don't do that. That's just not what I do. Some people can get loud, but that's not just, that's, some people can cry, but that's just not what I do. Let me tell you something. When we are truly in awe of something, it is going to evoke an emotional response. I'm not talking about that we, it's not based on emotion. It's based on who he is and the reverence that we have for him. But because of the reverence we have for him, it then invokes an emotional response. So what I'm trying to help somebody understand tonight is this. If you truly want generational blessings to be upon your home, when you come into the house of the Lord and we get into the presence of God, I'm not saying you got to swing from the chandeliers. I'm not saying you got to run the aisles like some people might. But there needs to be some type of emotional response to the presence of Almighty God. There needs to be action. There needs to be a response. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. Come on. I want to preach to our young couples in the house right now. I want to preach to those that are going to get married in 2020 or 2021. Come on, there needs to be something in you. There needs to be something birthed in you. There needs to be something that gets into you that says, I am going to fall in love with Jesus Christ like never before. And I'm going to be in awe of him. And I'm going to reverence him. Not just on Sunday, but if you truly reverence him, you're going to have a prayer life. Come on, if you truly reverence him, you're going to get into his word every day because you love him, you respect him, you honor him. You're going to want to know what does his word say. I love him so much. He's so mighty. He's so awesome and he's so wise. I want to know what does his word say. I'm going to pray. I want to pray and have communication with this God that I'm so in love with. Come on, if you're going to have kids, if you're going to have grandkids, and you want the blessings of God to be upon your home, you need to be in awe of God. Come on, somebody lift your hands right now. I'm going I'm to stop. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. The presence of the Lord is in this house. <laughs> 